Why in the world did Albus Dumbledore let this clown, Gilderoy Lockhart, teach at Hogwarts? I might just have an answer to that question. Welcome to Belated Binge, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, and I didn't read this series until I was a grown-ass man. But no matter when you read them, you know right away that Lockhart is an incompetent moron. In this episode, we get a really good look at that after rereading Chapter 6 of Chamber of Secrets, Gilderoy Lockhart. In this chapter, Ron gets a howler, we learn about mandrakes, we meet a couple new characters that will be pretty important to the plot, and we have our first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson with, of course, Lockhart. Did I mention Lockhart? The next day, however, Harry barely grinned once. Things started to go downhill from breakfast in the Great Hall. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where, despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-20s. That's the belated part. Now we're going back, chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it? And the motivations guiding the story, and of course, infusing as much sarcasm as humanly possible. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge. And today, we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart. Before we get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. This series wrapped up in 2007. If you haven't read them by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast will also have some adult language. You can buy them in the kids section at the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. No patrons, so no patron shoutouts. You want to change that? Check us out. Patreon.com slash belatedbinge. Special announcements. If you missed the announcement on the feed that I made, I've had to push these episodes to drop bi-weekly. This, in all uh, transparency, is a side hobby for me, and I'm also helping to raise a toddler, which doesn't leave a whole lot of time for hobbies if you're familiar with parenting. We also have just a lot of life stuff going on, and rather than giving up the podcast completely, I want to try to at least give you every other week episodes and see if I can keep up with that cadence with life happening. Uh, On another note, I've also uh, got an announcement about our guest situation. Uh, Coming up in two chapters, Christina from the Restricted Section is going to be stopping by the binge. I am personally very excited about that. If you missed the episode of the Restricted Section podcast I went on discussing Veritas Serum from Goblet of Fire, you should go listen to that. You can do that now and come back to finish this one, or wait until you're done here. Up to you. Now, in case you were obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, last chapter, I was joined by my good buddy Garrett from the Rankum podcast to chat through the Whomping Willow which was a complete disaster, brought to us from the brain of Ronald Billius Weasley. Harry and Ron are stopped by Dobby's extreme border control, 
They miss the Hogwarts Express. Harry lets Ron talk him into committing Grand Theft Auto and flying a car without a license, which are felonies in the wizarding world, I think, punishable only by slow, painful execution, if Snape had his way, which nearly happened when they landed in the Whomping Willow, which is still planted at a school where children live for some odd reason. It only takes about 14 seconds for them to get beat on a little and escape thanks to an inexplicably sentient sedan. Then, in true Gryffindor fashion, Professor McGonagall and Albus Dumbledore crush Snape's fantasy, save Harry and Ron from a fate even worse than a murder tree. Expulsion. Before we can move on and get to this week's chapter, we need to close the book on the last chapter and recap our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we would expect to change in our story if we made one small adjustment to the plot of the chapter we're covering. In the last chapter, I asked, what if the invisibility booster worked on the flying car and no muggles saw Harry and Ron in said flying car? From my perspective, not too much changes here. The stakes come down a little, but I think the outcome remains pretty much the same. Let's recap that. Harry and Ron still miss the train. Dumbledore will undoubtedly still know that they miss the train, and thus will still send Snape to go find them after missing said train. The invisibility booster doesn't make any difference to the car getting quote-unquote tired, and shitting out on them so they still fly into the murder tree. Ron's wand will still break. Snape will still be a child bully who hates Harry, so he will still read them the riot act upon their arrival. Dumbledore and Prof. McGee will still be pissed and ensure that they know how seriously dangerous and stupid their actions were. Thanks, Ron. They still won't be expelled. Snape will still cry about it. Letters will still be sent to their guardians, so Ron will still receive his howler. Pretty much everything goes according to script. Except no muggle sightings, no evening profit, probably less fanfare when they get to their dorm, although, I don't know. Rumors, kids still arrived on a flying car. There just wasn't a newspaper clipping, so still probably a big deal. Little, little, uh, big BFD in the eyes of the Gryffindor common room. Sure, that's probably a thing. Uh, and Arthur won't get in trouble at work. Otherwise, status quo. This time. That wraps up our chat from last chapter. So, let me get my phone out. I'm never prepared for this, by the way. Never. There's not been one time that I've just had my phone in my hand and been just ready to go with this uh, part of the uh, podcast. So, now that I've rambled and got my shit together here, let me selfie button video. Okay, we're good to go. This week's Expecto Plot Change-O question comes from 
Chapter 6 of Chamber of Secrets, Gilderoy Lockhart. What if Justin Finch Fletchley wasn't introduced to Harry? He was in a, another group entirely for Herbology class. Would that change anything that comes up in this book later? Let me know your thoughts to be included in the next episode of the podcast. You can do so here on social media or by going to my website, belatedbinge.com and leaving a voicemail. All right, so as I mentioned in the little uh, video there, uh, it's going to be posted on social media across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the TikTok. You can also respond uh, on any of those platforms or by leaving a voicemail on my website. You know, like I said, five seconds ago in the video. Now, onward and upward. Let's dive into the events of this week's chapter with Priority Incan Chapter. We've reached the point in the episode where our wands connect. Not the tips, just the streams. So we can recap what went down in the chapter that we just read this week. I went into this remembering Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart, to be, well, pretty useless. I'm not saying it doesn't serve a purpose for the book's plot or anything like that, but I, I didn't remember much to, like, sink our teeth into for a podcast setting, if you will. Uh, and while we could easily make this a two-minute episode of just Ron Gets a Howler, we learn about Mandrakes, and we have our first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson with a new professor who proves to be an egotistical douchebag and is clearly incompetent. The end. That could be it. Because that pretty much sums up the chapter, right? Like, that's that's what happened. But I wouldn't do that to you. I also had forgotten some of the more foundational, important things that are laid in this chapter aside from how bad Lockhart sucks of course the chapter has a lot more meat on its bones that I didn't remember from my first trip through the series which is quite literally aside from just wanting to do the podcast but this this was the type of stuff I wanted to do the podcast for was to really pick the series apart as I went along on the reread and pick up on those things that I missed the first time and talk about them with you. Which is what we're going to do right now, starting with that howler that I mentioned. Ron gets a letter from Molly Weasley that literally screams at him in front of everyone in the Great Hall, which is top-level embarrassment for a 12-year-old. But let's talk about howlers in general for just a second. Is this not just the Wizarding World version of, like, keyboard warriors? Couldn't anyone send a howler to anyone about anything? And couldn't you just scream, like, the nastiest shit you would never have the guts to say to that person if you were there in person? This is Twitter trolls and YouTube comments in magic form, is it not? Anyway, now, on a more serious note of how Molly uses said howler, 
a parent who's miles away yelling at their kid for doing something wrong. The idea makes a ton of sense. But I gotta wonder a little bit about whether the parent should want this either. Like, the child obviously doesn't want a letter sent to their school to scream at them in front of all their friends and perhaps even more importantly, they're not friends. But wouldn't, wouldn't, I would think in many cases, uh, screaming your family business for all to hear, like, I think about the, I think about going to the grocery store, you know, pre-COVID when you just all packed in Walmart and like sardines, like how annoying was it to be just hanging out in the grocery store and hear a parent just screaming at their child like the next aisle over that's what this howler is right in a lot of cases i would think you know parents would want to at least try to kind of keep that shit behind closed doors no i guess on the flip side this is i i'm i say that but then my next thought is going to completely contradict it in the fact that I'm surprised we don't see more of them. Because this is a school full of shithead kids. Why do we not hear about howlers going off just like every other day? Because there's enough mischief in Hogwarts to sustain a freaking poltergeist. Peeves. Yet we only hear about... Well, we only see Ron's howler and we hear about Neville getting one once. But we don't... In my recollection of the series, we don't encounter another student receiving one. Sure, Petunia gets one from Dumbledore much later. But I would think that this would be fairly commonplace in the Great Hall. Anyway, Ron gets his howler. It's traumatic. Oh my gosh, the world's ending. Uh, we move on to the main topic of this chapter, and that's how big of a douchebag Gilderoy Lockhart is. That's why it's named after him. And rather than going into every single act of what I'm now referring to as douchebaggery, one at a time, we're gonna kinda go with the Cliff Notes version, because honestly, that's the only way that I can stomach this chapter and talking about it with any kind of depth. I almost did two chapters for this episode, just so that we could basically skip through this one. Anyways, here's the beginning of our cliff notes on the douchebaggery from Gilderoy Lockhart. Annoying the shit out of Professor Sprout and acting like he knows more about her apology than her and announcing such to the student body. Pulling Harry aside and acting like he caused Harry to steal the car because he got a, a little taste for attention back at the bookstore when this guy made him come take a picture with him and completely tried to use Harry's fame to bolster his own image, but whatever, we'll probably talk more about that in a bit. And then bringing up Voldemort to Harry and his scar as a means of tracking like who's more famous and who gets points for what because obviously 
every single adult should be trying to compete with children about their level of notoriety. Alright, now all of those come before we even get to his class. But we we gotta take a break for herbology before we can get to that particular class. And the whole point of this herbology lesson is to teach us what mandrakes are. Which turns out to be plant-shaped babies whose cry can literally kill you. Which is exactly why you should be handling these in class with 12-year-olds. Pause for dramatic effect. Aside from that child safety nightmare, there's two things that I actually did want to bring up from this. One, we learned from Hermione that mandrakes are a restorative and can return someone who's been transfigured or cursed back to their original state. And that's going to be important, class. And might also come up a little later in this episode. Hermione also gets 10 points for knowing that information. She then gets another 10 points for knowing that the cries can kill you. Let's recap. Hermione answered two questions in class and got 20 house points. In our last book, Harry and Ron combined to receive 10 for saving Hermione's life from being murdered by a mountain troll. I could go on and on about this, but I won't. I'll just remind you that the point system at Hogwarts makes no sense. Moving on. We're given the, I guess, small peace of mind that our mandrakes in the story aren't quite old enough yet to kill, so that's a relief. It might just, I don't know, make you pass out or something. And then we meet a new character. Justin Finch Bletchley. He introduces himself to the trio, who he knows all by name, by their reputation. Even Ron, which is worth noting, since he's usually the third wheel and always complaining about not getting any attention. But, you know, famous Harry Potter, he knows Hermione from being top of the class, and Ron, of course, it's, wasn't that your flying car? But it's a, it's a fun little moment, you know. Hermione turns red, I think Ron probably got quite excited for anyone know of his existence. We also learn that Justin is Muggleborn, who was supposed to go to Eton, which, alright, I'm gonna, uh, my American is gonna be showing. And by American, I mean American, not a literal American. If you don't know what American actually is, Google it, but not at work or in front of children is Eaton like a snobby rich school or is it just a name drop to help reinforce that he's muggle-born and he was gonna go to a well-known like school I don't actually know anything about Eaton I imagine it's prestigious because I've heard of it and I don't know anything about Eaton Anyways, he's also really into Lockhart, so maybe he's a bit of a reader. But not as much as Hermione, who we learn has outlined Defense Against the Dark Arts in hearts in her notebook or planner or whatever it is that she uses. That's 
pretty much par for the course for a 12-year-old who has a crush on a famous person, I guess. I, I don't know. I guess it's hard for me to go back that far, but I seem to remember more of that with, like, classmates you had a crush on. And not to be gender-specific, just so I can throw that out there. Um, one individual uh, instance that I can think of it personally and this one's a little embarrassing, uh, I remember carving my initials with a heart next to the initials of a girl that I had a crush on as a child, probably their age, uh, into an eraser. You know, one of those, like, big art class erasers, not the teeny tiny one on the edge of a pencil, but, like, the, you know, the big, thick ones. Then, I forgot that I had done it, (laughs) and I let my best friend borrow the eraser in art class, and he proceeded to make fun of me relentlessly for that, uh, and then dated the girl whose initials I carved in there. I, I went to their wedding about eight years later or so. Um, it didn't work out. We kind of lost touch, but Facebook has informed me through the years that the marriage didn't may not have lasted, uh, but they did both move on happily into new relationships, which is great for them and has nothing to do with this podcast. Now, we meet another character, Colin Creevy, another muggle-born, who turns out to be as obsessed with Harry as Hermione may or may not be with Lockhart. He could give Ginny a run for her money. I think Ron actually mentions that. Uh, What's the the actual quote? Uh, I didn't write it down, but doesn't Ron say, um, let's hope that uh, Colin doesn't meet Ginny because they could start a Harry Potter fan club or something like that? Anyways, I butchered that. Um, he asks Harry for a picture and then asks Harry to sign it. And, of course, our favorite bully makes his appearance for the chapter. Draco just giving Harry relentless shit about signing photos, giving him shit about his scar and about Ron's family being poor. It's a, it's a real treat, uh, a highlight of the chapter, and definitely not behavior that he's responsible for because his daddy's mean. And then Lockhart catches wind of all of this going down. And our cliff notes of douchebaggery now continues. And there's a lot of these, so... Buckle up, kids. Forcing Harry to take a picture together for Colin and both signing it. Lecturing Harry about being a celebrity and not acting full of himself by handing out signed pictures. Making the whole class buy all of his books. Introducing himself by rattling off all of his achievements and accolades. Faking hubris. That's it. That's that's. That's the whole cliff note there. Giving a test that's questions that are all about him. Grading said test during class in giving feedback to the students about their ability to remember useless shit about him. Dramatically revealing the Cornish Pixies as if they're caged werewolves and he's a magician on stage. Letting said pixies out to destroy the classroom. 
being completely incompetent and not being able to control the chaos that he let out. And running away and asking three students to clean up his mess. Have I captured all of the moments of douchebaggery by our buddy, Gildor Lockhart, from this chapter? If you can think of anything that I missed, please share it with me. All of the social media stuff I mentioned earlier, Belated Binge across all of them, the website, belatedbinge.com, I'm looking forward to getting some responses and having a little back and forth on whether or not you can come up with any more instances of douchebaggery from this one chapter, particularly by Lockhart. Now, Harry and Ron have already figured out that this dude's a fraud. It's right on the page. Hermione's a little slow on the uptick. She's making excuses for him because she can't see clearly through her 12-year-old crush eyes. And that's how we end the chapter. And there's a a really blatant uh, quote from Ron when Hermione mentions the stuff that Lockhart's done. And he says, he says he's done. And that's definitely going to come up in our divination segment because it's spot on. And it pretty much bookends, it, well, it literally bookends this chapter, but it's also kind of the perfect planted synopsis of this chapter. In one little quote at the end, you pretty much get the gist of what this whole chapter was trying to tell us. And that is that this guy is full of shit. And that wraps up the chapter. <laughs> bringing us to Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds, and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. 
I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is Belated Binge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that'll unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Speaking of supporting the podcast, I want to thank Jay Coughlin for the review on iTunes, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, what am I thinking? I'm thinking music, Apple Podcasts, uh, it's five stars. What a fun way to listen to someone who has only consumed the Harry Potter books as an adult. If you're looking for sarcastic takes and fabulous puns, this is the place for you, my friends. Aloha, give me more of this podcast. And this, uh, uh, the title of this, the headline of this review is Protego, go, go, listen to this podcast. So awesome use of puns. Definitely caught on to what we're doing with the segment uh, titles <laughs> with the spell puns. And I sincerely appreciate the kind words. I love reading all of these reviews. So uh, if you'd like yours with a little shout out, please go leave one. Now it's time for Lumos. Lumos. Let's pull out our wands and light the tips. But we're not blowing smoke. We're here to illuminate. Well, when in doubt, Albus Dumbledore. But this time, what the hell was he thinking? Hiring Gilderoy Lockhart. So let's cover the quick notes that we all know by now. Dumbledore knows the DADA position is cursed, and whoever he picks is going to be gone in a year. 
it also seems that he's been struggling to find a willing body for the role. So, sure, maybe he was the only option Dumbledore had. Or maybe he actually serves a purpose. Which one of those do you think we're going to talk about? For this, I'm going to give some credit to the Super Carlin Brothers. Uh, their YouTube channel for at least parts of this. Uh, that's where I heard the general nexus of this idea or thought process and kind of formulated my thoughts around it. So uh, credit to them for that one. I know I've credited them before. And if you're listening to this, you've definitely watched some of their videos because they're kick-ass videos. And they're good at this stuff. So shout out to them. They don't know I exist. Anyways, they had a theory that part of what Dumbledore was doing hiring Lockhart was showing Harry what not to become with fame. And I think there's something to that. I also think, and maybe I heard this somewhere too, I mean this fandom's been alive and well for 20 years. I There's probably not an original thought to be had left. Uh, but uh, Dumbledore n- may know what Lockhart's been doing. Maybe not the specifics, but that he doesn't believe the stories were actually acted out by Lockhart. And he wants to expose him as a fraud. Which would make some sense. Uh, I like to think that he doesn't know that Lockhart literally was obliviating these people, but I think he does know that. Um... Here's I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going down that uh, that rabbit hole a little bit here. Um, at the end of this book, a line that uh, Dumbledore says to Lockhart when he comes back with no memory because his obliviation backfired on himself is that he was impaled on his own sword. Now, of course, uh, this could mean something and. I'm hoping that's not just a movieism, by the way, too. Uh, but I seem to remember that line. Uh, and it stuck with me when diving down this particular theory. Um, it could obviously just mean that he tried to uh, wipe the memories completely of these two children, and instead it backfired on him, and that would be literally impaling himself on his own spell, but the, you know, the... Uh, expression is impaling oneself on their own sword so that could be all that it means i like to think that it means a little bit more i think it means that dumbledore knows that he used memory modification on the wizards who actually did the things that lockhart wrote about and took the credit for it what i don't like to think is that Dumbledore didn't do anything about it until now. And perhaps maybe he just recently realized it. Maybe he just had some suspicions that Lockhart was full of shit, and he just recently looked into it, and through his uh, pretty pretty solid investigative instincts and uh, deductive reasoning skills, came to the conclusion that he was modifying these people's memories. Now, I say modifying because I don't think that Lockhart was literally wiping the memories of the people whose stories he was, or acts of greatness that he was stealing. I think he was 
just adjusting them so that they wouldn't call him out for taking credit for their achievements. I think, you know, either they forget the details of what went down or he inserts himself into it so that they remember the whole thing but as like witnessing him do it versus them being the ones to do it themselves something like that because I personally think that if he was literally wiping these people's memories and they were coming out of it like he does in this instance I think that that would actually have drawn more attention to the fact that something hinky was going on like uh somebody more people showing up at St. Mungo's with just no memory of what's happening immediately correlating to his fame and success continuing to rise like that probably leaves more opportunity for people to go digging than just kind of implanting a small adjustment to their memory so that it's almost undetectable that he's full of shit that's my personal headcanon that's my theory on the matter and that's what I think Dumbledore was trying to expose him of. I think that if he was literally wiping these people's memories clean too, this wouldn't be the way that Dumbledore chose to expose him. I think he would have done something a little bit more direct and perhaps something with a little bit more immediate impact. Um, so that being said, why is this the way that he went? And by this the way that he went, I think that Dumbledore is trying to get him to expose himself as a fraud in this teaching position specifically. So why that? Why why is a teacher and not try to do some grandiose act where he's, you know, I don't know, put him put him on the spot in front of a group of his closest supporters or whatever. I don't know. Well, for starters, I think one Dumbledore doesn't really care about fame and popularity at this point in his life. So I think he kind of doesn't give a shit that Lockhart is getting famous necessarily. I think he gives a shit about him being a fraud and doing it fraudulently. Uh, and by taking credit for others' actions, that annoys him. And I think that to him, what's most important is the students of Hogwarts. He wants them to learn that this famous person who claimed credit for acts that he didn't commit was actually full of shit. This could actually, arguably, anyways, have a greater impact than calling him out in front of his supporters, say, for instance, uh, or bringing him up, you know, trying to prove it in a court of law or whatever, to whatever extent that actually exists in this wizarding world, because that's a whole can of worms we're going to get into later in the series, and actually some later in this book, but cart uh, before the horse. I think... Part of it is about not just getting them to go home and tell their parents that this dude that they're reading about and their parents is probably a fan of is completely full of shit. But even more than that, they get to see what happens to someone who lies for their own gain, who takes credit for others' work and what can happen if that backfires. And again, like Harry, what he doesn't want them as children to become their children remember and the purpose of school for children is to mold children to be productive members of magical society not lying conniving piles of shit 
ultimately, this comes back to the greater good for Dumbledore. He wants these students to learn that they should be working for the betterment of that magical society, not just for yourself. Value and prioritize the greater good. Let's do some divination. It's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. One, meeting Justin Finch Fletchley and Colin Creevy too, but we're going to put a spotlight on Justin because he's more of a spotlight of the plot. But in both cases, Muggleborns. New Muggleborn characters. And it's a seed planted for later in this book. Once the Chamber of Secrets has been opened, these are two of the students who get petrified. And Justin Finch Fletchley in particular... That petrification causes Harry a lot of headache at school. Two, I'm I'm actually going to bring Colin Creevy back for this one, because um, he doesn't get the same drama surrounding his petrification, but if I remember right, wasn't he petrified while trying to like sneak to the hospital wing to see Harry? when he came across the basilisk in his camera. So, if that's the case, isn't that kind of a foreshadow to him later sneaking back to the Battle of Hogwarts when he's not supposed to be there and becoming one of the gut punches that dies in the battle? Yeah, it's rough. That's a rough foreshadow. Sorry for bringing that one up. Three, mandrakes. These are baby-sized seed planted puns all over the place uh, and explained as they will be used in the restoration of the kids who get petrified later in this book the mandrakes cure them so now we had to learn somewhere that mandrakes can cure people who are cursed or perhaps petrified and it happened here sure four pretty much Lockhart this whole chapter, but we're going to say the Cornish pixie thing is a blatant foreshadow that this guy is completely useless. And Ron's comment about what he says he's done is a bit on the nose, but completely accurate. He's a fraud, and even Ron can tell. And he's 12 years old. We, of course, later learn that he's exactly right. Now, let's give away some house points. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at my discretion. This week, I'm giving house points to Ron, who's getting 15 for recognizing that Lockhart is a fraud, even before Hermione does. Ron doesn't get things particularly perceptually or intellectually or pretty much anything ever <laughs> uh, before Hermione does. So kudos to him on this one. Now I'm going to take some points away from Draco, who's losing five for being a bully. Hermione is also losing five for her ridiculous crush on Lockhart. Even at 12, it's not in character. Like at all. And Lockhart, he's losing 50 
for being a total douchebag for the absolute entirety of this chapter. Front to back douching. Now that's an image. I'm going to add these to my nerdy-ass spreadsheet the moment that I actually create it, but I promise I will uh, have it ready to tally them up for the end of this season's Bingey Awards. Before we go, I have to acknowledge the moments in this episode that were utterly ridiculous. It's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense, starting with... I've said this before, I'll say it again, differently, this time. Gilderoy Lockhart's existence in this series is ridiculous, but specifically how he treats Harry in this chapter is particularly vomit-inducing. To me, he's clearly riding the coattails of a famous student, and not in the slughorn way. He wants to shine brighter than the boy who lived, and he's both trying to gain the attention Harry gets while also subduing Harry and slapping his hand about seeking it. All the while, we know that Harry gets the attention he doesn't want, and Lockhart wants nothing more. And that whole dynamic is, I get it, I understand, I just don't dig it, (laughs) and I find it a bit ridiculous that it even exists. Also, Hermione being unable to see past her little crush to see that Lockhart's full of shit before Ron does is ridiculous. I just said this. It's the only instance I can think of from the entire series that she lets who is doing something impact her ability to judge the what that that person is doing. And I realize as a sentence in the English language, that might not have made a lot of sense, but let me rephrase it another way. If there was a teacher who came to the school who was treating other teachers poorly, trying to elevate themselves above everyone else around them, and trying to use students for getting attention for themselves, as well as making a self-centered educational course, which Hermione clings to her books like a life force, She literally only cares about her education and learning, and the idea that somebody came in and just made the course all about them rather than the subject they were supposed to be teaching, say that anyone else did that. Say Quirrell did it. For the love of... Imagine Umbridge had done that when she was the teacher of Defense Against the... Hermione would have been on this shit in a second. But because Lockhart's good-looking, she's completely oblivious, apparently. And I don't know, I find that pretty ridiculous. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of The Binge. As always, shout out to Producer Jack, who I work like a dog. Remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using. And if it supports a rating and review option, please leave one. If you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits available on patreon.com slash belatedbinge. I've worked hard on those, and I'd really like somebody (laughs) to take advantage of them. If you're reading along, next episode, we're covering chapter 7 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Mudbloods, and Murmurs. And I'm just going to tell you, it's a heavy one. Until then, I'll see you next time on the Belated Binge Podcast. 
believe him? Roared Ron as one of the remaining pixies bit him painfully on the ear. He just wants to give us some hands-on experience, said Hermione, immobilizing two pixies at once with a clever freezing charm and stuffing them back into their cage. Hands-on, said Harry, who was trying to grab a pixie dancing out of reach with its tongue out. Hermione, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Rubbish, said Hermione. You've read his books. Look at all those amazing things he's done. He says he's done, Ron muttered. Thank you.